Welcome to the Stephen and Arjun's Football Podcast, where they discuss anything football, everything football. This podcast is brought to you by Starshot Bakery and Misuboy SG. Craving for party treats like cakes and cookies in Subang Jaya? Visit starshot.bakery on Instagram. Or would you like tiramisu in Singapore? Visit misuboy.sg on Instagram as well. Good day, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Steven Arjun's Football Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Misubor AG and Starshark Bakery. The last episode, we talked about the new managerial uh, incomings over the international break. We have Gerard coming in for Aston Villa, as well as Dean Smith coming in for Norwich. And also, oh, last but not least, also Eddie Howe coming in for Newcastle as well, who are currently bottom of the table. And today... We're going to address the elephant in the room. Of course, we just received report that MU have just sacked uh, Ole Social as their manager after just one win in the past seven league games. And Michael Carrick uh, will take temporary charge until they find an interim manager. And today, <laughs> being an MU topic, I mean, like we have been talking about MU for the past few weeks and that the problem has been there only... Um, Arjun and Uday has been talking about Ole out for the past few weeks now, but the board has been adamant and has been standing by their manager for the past um, few months, I would say, ever since the Leicester game. Um, so today, we will discuss in depth, Ole has finally gone um, with my uh, co-host today, Arjun. Arjun, welcome back. Thanks, Stephen. Good to be back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, also, uh, our... Our long-term guest, um, also a MU fan, Uday. Uday, look forward to hear your views on this. Hi, Steven. Yes, um, definitely will share my views on this. Uh, you sound happier than when I when France won a match. So, I don't know what's happening to you. <laughs> Too happy today, Steven. <laughs> did, did France wait, wait. win? Why does France win have to do with me? I, I mean, like, I don't support France, so... I mean... Because the last time uh, someone was really happy was France won the match. The last time I was laughing so much. Well, and, uh, I, was, I think why I I'm so happy today is because yeah. uh, the fact of Liverpool winning coupled with oh, the fact okay. of uh, MU sacking their coach. I see. <laughs> okay, fine. That makes sense then. I guess it's equally, it's equally as, you know, happy. So, yeah. uh... All right, um, Arjun, let us start out. Let us kick off today's discussion, okay? Uh, I think I direct my question to you first. Okay, so uh, we know we've been talking about Ole out for... I know you have been advocating Ole out since, I think, the Leicester game, when you see that, yeah. you know, uh, it's, it's a matter of uh, when, but not if. Yeah. But uh, why, why do you think the board took such long to make a decision? And then we have a two-weeks break. They must have discussed, and then they, they must have thought that, okay, Ole is still the right man to go ahead. But then just one game back, 4-1 defeat at Watford, and then they, you know, sack him immediately. What are your thoughts? I think it, it was a matter of uh, how many people Ole had on his side at, at, the, at the board of directors level uh, when they discussed. And I think that number was dwindling. That, that was probably the reason. Because, as, as I mentioned before as well, uh, United uh, worried to fall into the trap of, you know, hiring and sacking managers. Which is why uh, they when, when they hired Ole, they thought they had a manager who you know, it's like a young manager, ex-United legend. It's like a fairy tale story, uh, which is why I think they gave him as long as they did. They held on as long as they could. Uh, probably the international, uh, I think at the international break, they were he was already at the brink and he was probably 
just like a 50-50 split or something at the board of directors level. Maybe Joel Glazer was still on his side. Uh, but I think uh, more, more than looking at it as one match, it was the manner in which United played. I mean, they have been horrible all season, but I, I feel this was the worst match of the season. It was even worse than horrible. They, it's like they didn't even try. So I, I think they, they had no choice. And finally, uh, Ole lost more support at the bottom of practice level. And I think Joel Glazer as well saw that he had to take action. And that, that's why it came when it came. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm glad it finally happened, but the timing is very inconvenient. Uh, have a Champions League match coming up in two days. Have a match against Chelsea at the weekend. So I think it's terrible timing, but a uh, decision had to be made. Yes. Uh. Thanks, Arjun. Um. Ude. Now. Now that Ole has been sacked, and then, and then on hindsight, now that everything has been done, what whatever he has done has been done. Uh. On hindsight, what do you think is the final nail of the coffin that, you know, that the management decided to sack Ole? Huh. Maybe the fact that Watford had eight shots on target and Manchester United only had three. What do you think? And the fact that we had zero shots on target in the first half. I think that might have been a red flag already. I was texting all you all in the group indicating that uh, is there a probability or a chance in which a manager can be sacked at halftime? And mm. I mean, just look uh, so poor throughout the whole game. Um, what uh, was the final nail in the coffin? Um, I guess the fact that he had really poor run and form, five losses in the last six games. Um, he also has a very poor win percentage, by the way. I'm not too sure if anyone knows his win. His win percentage is lower than Jose Maria. His win percentage is 54.2%, which is lower than Jose Maria. We sacked Jose Mourinho as well. So I honestly thought that um, all of these contributing factors, the fact that MU's uh, not even playing a proper style. Uh, De Gea said that MU can't defend or attack in an interview after the Watford game. All of this must have been the final nails in the coffin, Stephen. Okay, all right. Um, Arjun, we spoke about a lot of, you know, um, weird decision that Ole has made, you know, including like um, buying Tony Van Der Beek and not using him. And yesterday we saw that Van Der Beek was the only goal scorer that uh, managed to emerge with credit um, after the game. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Like, you know, Vandervik, is, is, he, is he one of the weird decisions that you, you still cannot uh, understand why Ole not, uh, decide not to start him throughout his yeah. way? Yeah, so what, is, what was so ironic is that Tony Vandervik scored the last goal of the Ole Gunnar Songstar era. How, how ironic <laughs> yeah. is that? I mean, he was the exactly. best, player, best United player for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's last match. It was so ironic, and I was laughing looking at the match play, seeing Benjamin playing so well, Sancho playing so well. I think they were the only two players who played really well, especially in the second half. And to, yeah. and like you said, too much with any credit at all from the match. And again, it was yeah. such a weird decision to take off Sancho and not yeah. um, uh, Bruno. Yeah, I, 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 would, I thought yes. it was really strange. Bruno was having a horrible match giving away ball, not contributing to anything. Sancho and Vanderbeek were combining very well. And he took out Sancho, even in that situation. So, and he's not helping himself, like we said. His decision-making has been terrible. Um, and yeah, like you mentioned, keeping Tony Vanderbeek on the bench for so long. I think in a previous podcast, I mentioned that the only thing that could be in his defense is that uh, maybe we are saying something from training that we don't know, that he is saying. 
for example, when they're not putting in effort or things like that. But at this point, I really don't know because <laughs> every time he comes out, he has been playing really well. So I really don't understand why, what was the problem against him. So, yeah, and he showed in that last match, even when the whole team is playing so horrible, he single-handedly drove the team forward and he gave so many key passes, created so many chances. And yeah, he ran the show for United in midfield in the second half. Yeah, thanks, Arjun. Um, Ude, that's Hi. the fact that um, <laughs> Ole doesn't start Vanderby at all, even though he, he performed well in the games that he has been playing. Uh, you also cannot understand why. Um, yeah, I clearly don't understand why he hasn't. Been. I mean, clearly yesterday he was uh, one of the best players um, throughout the game. Um, he created, he scored a goal, the last goal, of course. As, and then as well, he was influential in the whole build-up play. He created, if I'm not mistaken, three to four chances. I mean, might have been even more. I just thought, I saw the game, it was just happening really quick in my eyes. And he even took out Sa, which was Watford's most attacking player. And I thought that MU was missing somebody like Van der Beek. Uh, throughout the game, my elder brother indicated how sharp he was, even though he hasn't been playing for such a long time under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He was just really sharp and really quick and really fast. He adapted to the gameplay wonderfully. Like He single-handedly could have won the game for us if it was not for uh, a couple of mistakes by Harry Maguire and as usual the defensive errors that happened. I... I really hope that this is an indication, even if the next manager that comes on board, to make sure that he consistently plays Donny van der Beek because clearly Donny van der Beek has been the answers to Manchester United's central midfield problem. And we found it. We should use it mm. properly. That's it. Ude, do you think that the signing of Cristiano Ronaldo was the downfall of Ole? Because like, it kind of raised the expectation to... MU being a top four challenger to a title challenger, and yet they feel so miserably. I see the point where you're coming from. Is it the downfall? I don't think so. I think it was the signing of Ronaldo was a director's decision for a marketing effort to get more money. And maybe if he was a Sir Alex Ferguson imposing character, he could have, you know, said no. But because he was Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, he's, he's a nice kind of guy manager, a nice guy manager. I don't think he will say no to the manager bringing back Ronaldo. I don't think even I would have said no if let's say I was managing. Uh, however, I was, if let's say I was an imposing manager, I would clearly would take him. Uh, is Ronaldo a problem in Manchester United? Yes. Does he also solve a couple of things that Manchester United has been uh, dealing with? Yes. Will the new manager be able to solve the Ronaldo problem? I hope so. Because we clearly don't know what's happening. Um, Bruno Fernandes pre-Ronaldo versus post-Ronaldo has completely changed. We were expecting Luke Shaw to be prime Roberto Carlos with Ronaldo being there, being able to cross and Ronaldo being able to header. That's clearly not happened. Um, we bought Ronaldo and Sancho in the same transfer window. Sancho, right now, because of Ronaldo, has uh, been uh, missing throughout. Then we have this whole Anthony Martial and Marcus Rashford, which is the best position. Where do we play them? Yada, yada, yada. So, I don't know. Like, Ronaldo is a problem, but he's clearly not the 
reason why Ole got sacked. The expectations were already high this season, even before. So, yeah. All right, now it's time to look forward post Ole, uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Arjun, so where do United go from here? Uh, what do you expect from Michael Carrick? You know, bring, uh, you know, what do you expect from now on? Um, I guess, once again, I actually expect him initially to do what Ole did when he uh, took over post Jose Mourinho, to steady the ship, so to speak. Of course, um, I, I think Carrick has an easier job given that the players he has are already so good and they have shown that they can perform at a high level. Whereas, and the mood on, at the club, yeah, it's bad because the results have been bad, but it's not like how the mood was when Mourinho left. That, that was a different kind of mood. Ole had to deal with that as well. So I feel Carrick doesn't have as tough of a job as Ole did, but he also has less time to prepare for the next match. And... He has zero uh, managerial experience. Ole had at least had a little bit of experience at Molde and Cardiff. So, in that sense, maybe personally it's tough for him, but um, I think he just has to steady the ship. He has to sort out the mistakes, give at least a simple uh, technical plan to uh, maybe at least grind out some results, even if you can't dominate matches and win yet. Um, yeah, small things like that. Basically, just stabilize the situation until uh, they decide to hire an interim manager. I think that's all he can do right now. Yeah, um, thanks, Arjun. Arjun, you were saying a hiring an uh, interim manager. Who do you see that you know can be possibly come in and fill in that interim manager position? To be honest, the only person that I would like to uh, see come in is Eric Ten Hag, the IX manager. I think I mentioned before, uh, I really like the way he has uh, set up his IX team. He has shown that he's able to deal with players being sold as well. Of course, it remains to be seen whether he can make the step up to a top, top European club with much higher expectations, playing in the Premier League, which is much more competitive. But he, he, the, another added benefit is that Dodi van der Beek was his player as well. And he can probably make Dodi van der Beek the centerpiece of the Man United team. And... Yeah, I mean, he's, he has proven that he's able to bring Ajax to the Champions League, um, able to beat giants such as Real Madrid as well on the way. So, yeah, my ideal choice would be Eric Ten Hag, but I don't know whether he'll be able, available mid-season. We might need an, another manager just to come in temporarily until the end of the season. Um, I don't know who's available on that kind of basis, uh, like how Chelsea hired Goose Heating. Uh, I think twice or three times when they sack managers mid-season. We need someone like that to come in and until the end of the season uh, when we can bring in a long-term manager. So my choice, number one choice would be Eric Ten Hag, for sure. There are reports saying that um, Glazer is going for Zinedine Zidane. What are your thoughts, Sajin? Yeah, so um, from, uh, the reports I've seen is one, one is Zinedine Zidane. Uh, we have seen Brendan Rodgers being linked before as well. And the latest is uh, I've seen that Cristiano Ronaldo wants uh, Luis Enrique. To, mm. uh, to to come to United as well. Um, I thought you were going to say Christian Rodo want to do player manager. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think you know, I messaged in the group, right? Like, sack Ole right now during the match. And I, Ronaldo could be player manager for all I care. Uh, yeah. But yeah, yeah. anyway, um, coming back to the topic. Um, I don't know whether Zidane would be the answer, to be honest. Um, I, I know a lot of uh, people like him and he has won a lot of trophies, no doubt. Uh, but again, he has 
only one company that Real Madrid. Uh, I, I mean, this going to sound weird, but I, I, I don't know whether he can deal with another club, uh, a, a club different to Real Madrid. Um, yeah, so I, I have my doubts in him. But comparing, compared to the op- other options, uh, I don't really like Brendan Rodgers, uh, even mm. without his Liverpool connections. Uh, because as we mentioned before, I think he's uh, he's someone like David Moyes who may not yes. be suited to a top top team, but is suited to a team like Leicester, West Ham, you know, like a like a top yeah. eight team. Um, and Luis Enrique, uh, I think he's more of a of a national coach compared to a club coach. So again, given those three options, I think Zidane is the best option. But I still have my doubts for sure. Understand. Um, Uday, so the current MU situation is this. The result weren't good, the performance was poor, and MU sacked the manager. And an ex-player comes back, comes in to steady the ship, take over interim charge of the team. It's scaringly similar to what happened when Ole comes in. So my question is this, what if Carrick start to go on and run that is very, very good? Like, for example, Ole comes in and he had a phenomenal start. He won 14 of his first 19 competitive games. What if Carrick delivers similar results? Would you give him the full-time job? Um, I don't think I want Michael Carrick to do that, even if he was to go on a similar run. I was looking at some reports online right now, and I am going to choose some left-field options of who Manchester United should do. I mean, this is based on reports, of course. Um. Julian Lopetegui, the Sevilla manager. Um, as everyone knows, Sevilla is top of the Spanish Premier League right now. Um, he seems like an interesting candidate. Arjun, do you know oh, that? Oh, oh, I did not know that. Wow. Yeah, I, I was just, while Stephen asked the question, I was just doing some research. And um, apparently, MU is um, trying to push Jorge Mendes, the agent, uh, the famous agent that everyone knows. He's trying to push to get someone like him on board. And I think he might be one of the interesting candidates to join uh, MU. He has a contract as of 2024, of course, but um, I would want someone like him. And then reports have also stated that um, MU ex-player Lauren Blanc, uh, he also managed the French team as well for some time. Um, these are two, play- two uh, left-field managers that I think, you know, because all the famous managers right now have been... Uh, already taken out by all the other clubs. So these are the two interesting managers that I think we should get. So to answer your question, I don't think we should give Michael Carrick a permanent basis, even if he was to win everything and make MU win the Champions League in the final. I don't think that's a great idea. Ajit, how about your thoughts? Um, unless he wins the Champions League or wins the Premier League, <laughs> if he does one of them, I think we will have to give him some time. <laughs> give him a contract as a Manchester United manager, but unless he wins something, uh, if however well he does, even if he gets second or uh, like Uday said, reaches the Champions League final, I don't think I would want to give him a contract. Um, given that at least Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, like I mentioned, had some coaching experience, but Michael Carrick has no experience, so it will be an even bigger gamble to give him the permanent job. Um, yeah, yeah I, I think I would keep him as an assistant manager or a coach if the new manager wants him. Uh, but that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. So the current arrangement is Darren Fletcher will support Michael Carrick, is it? Uh, yeah. And Michael Carrick has asked uh, McKenna and 
mm-hmm. might kill them to stay to assist. So they're not leaving with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. They're going to stay and assist uh, Michael Carrick in his... So it's just Ole that has good... <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, I mean, the, the, the two of them were supposed to leave with Ole as well because he was part of Ole's backroom staff. Yeah. Carrick yeah. has asked him to, them to stay, so, so they're going to stay. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. So probably some conspiracy theory there. They are trying to work against <laughs> <laughs> the manager. Something, something for the okay. list to figure out and for us to identify. Okay. All right. I think I think we covered quite compre- comprehensively like, for today for the for this topic on MU. Yeah. So, <laughs> I've enjoyed this discussion. Moving on to the Liverpool <laughs> topic. Now, <laughs> I mean, you yes. Uh, moving okay. on to the Liverpool topic. <laughs> we have the big um. Too much sure, sure. Liverpool just won four 0 uh, against yeah. Arsenal at Anfield. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you Steven? <coughs> yes. What was the question here? Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. So, are uh, you happy? Okay. Uh, I mean, I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> no. What, sorry. What I was going to ask is, uh, what are your thoughts on the touchline rule? Of course, I think that was the biggest talking incident of the match. The touchline rule between uh, Jurgen Klopp and uh, Ateta, Mikael Ateta. Mm-hmm. So, what are your thoughts on the incident, the lead up to the incident, maybe the foul as well, foul or not foul? Um, starting from that incident, the entire incident, what, what are your thoughts on it? I think, um, I think the incident showed the, a, a bit of immaturity from Ateta's side that he tried to pick a fight with Jürgen Klopp. Because at that point of the match, Anfield was very, very quiet already. And and it's very subdued. So when Anfield is subdued, then the crowd will get more and more frustrated. And this frustration will actually channel down to the players. And, you know, they will try to, start to, try to play faster, try to be more... Uh, they, they are more panic, panic. Uh, they are in more panic mode and their pass get very sloppy. So that, that, that's what happened like, when, when, you know, uh, teams come and sit back, you know, and try to get a, get a draw. But he kind of, you know... Uh, uh, Spice up the atmosphere, you know. The the, the suddenly the the Anfield was you no know, noisy again, and then that kind of uh spurred Liverpool, you know, to to play better, and that, that's what happened uh throughout the, the match yesterday. So what happened was I feel Mane was being fouled a lot. I, I feel that he was initially targeted by the Arsenal defense. That once he was on the ball, I feel Ateta's instruction was that once he's on the ball, just try and get the ball off him or try to give it like try to nick the ball off him and try to give it a kick or two like just to show him the contact that you are there you know but money tend to fall over easily lah, throughout and, and there, there were a few fouls really from Tomiyasu and also um Lokonga as well and also Ben White as well yeah so there are a few fouls on money which give Liverpool the free kick at dangerous position and then I think Mani also got a bit frustrated with the fouls that he has been uh, that, that he has gotten. And then he tried to fight back, especially when you know there are, there are long balls coming in from Van Dijk and Matic, uh, not Matic, uh, Joao Matip coming in, and then he jumped, you know, sometimes with his uh, elbow up, you know, or shoulder up. So it's this kind of thing that he started to play a bit rough. He, he gets rougher with the Arsenal defense. And that's when that's when the tight cat start to turn. That you know, it it, it, it becomes money fouling the Arsenal defense instead of the other way around. And that was when Arteta wasn't very happy about it. Yeah, I feel if he's a bit more, if he can keep his calm back then, probably 
Liverpool will not still uh, uh probably Liverpool wouldn't have turned up the the tempo lah. Yeah, so that that's my thought of the incident. But I still feel you know it's a small incident. That I I feel the the main talking point is how we how we beat Arsenal four 0 You know Arsenal coming in with a ten game unbeaten run. You know, I watch this game is because um uh, if Arsenal was bottom of the table, I wouldn't have watched it. But because Arsenal was just two points behind Liverpool, and they have been they have been in such brilliant form recently, and Liverpool has been losing and drawing for the past two games. You know, I I thought this would be a close one to be honest. Yeah, but eventually we won four new, so it was a great day for me, lah. Yeah, I mean, as actually a very good point that you brought up, especially the uh, fact that Arsenal was on a run, but looks like Arsenal's run is clearly done based on a lot of good managerial decisions, which clearly Ole doesn't have, and it was all of this, you know, tactical changes and. All of these like decisions that made by Arteta that helped Arsenal go through the run, which then we thought that clearly Arsenal was going somewhere, but it looks like it was a false dawn. The fact that Liverpool came and knocked back Arsenal down to the back, back to the socks. And honestly, I thought uh, the game was uh, very interesting. Uh, what happened was that it looked like it was a very uh, basketball game at the start, where both teams seemed to be attacking and everything, but just couldn't find the finishing touch. But the incident that you discussed earlier will clearly help Liverpool at the end of the day because with the increased level of noise from the fans, we always thought that the fans are the twelfth man in the stadium. That clearly helped to improve the players' performance and be determined to end the game right there and then. So that was my analysis. I think Liverpool was fantastic. Uh, Fabinho deserves credit for being able to. Uh, marshal the midfield and prevent Arsenal from doing it, creating as many clear-cut chances. They did create, but not that many. And then uh, the three front men, of course, Jota, Salah and Mane, have been exceptional throughout. Uh, Liverpool, we talked about how they didn't have a strong squad in that. It looks like they do. The fact that Oxlade-Chamberlain was playing centre midfielder and he excelled there. Minamino came on and scored. So... I it find it's pretty hard to stop Liverpool from trying to win this title this season. I think maybe Chelsea, Old Man City can stop them. Yeah, and I, I and I have to say, if you know Sassi Learn or, or Melody mm-hmm. or Kapil is on 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 this on our podcast today, Aaron Ramsdale is a very good goalkeeper. Yes, I thought he was a mediocre one, you know, because he he got relegated with Sheffield United, you know. But he came into Arsenal, you know, I thought he was just going to be a substitute behind Bert Leno, but he was very, very good, especially his second save, you know, after like first save and then people will try to follow up with the ball, with the loose ball, but then he'll get up faster than people like Mo Salah, Sadio Mane and then just hook the ball away. Uh, yeah. yeah, we saw the save against James Madison, the free kick from Leicester. And against Liverpool, you know, he he gave me the feeling that oh my goodness this is just another day of where the goalkeeper comes to Anfield and then they played played like you know the best match of their life and then we're gonna get frustrated and then we're gonna end new new or we're gonna lose one new <laughs> just because Aaron Ramsdale is such a good goalkeeper on that day. Yeah. Yeah, but, but I, yeah, but yeah, but I have to say they they were let down by by the left back uh, Nuno Tavares. Yeah, he was very very poor. I feel he he passed he assisted Diego Jota's. Um, uh, first goal, 
And after that, his his confidence just went went to the you know hit rock bottom. You know after that, he misplaced a lot of passes, and Liverpool had a lot of chances. If not for if it were for you know Aaron Ramsdale, we would have won six or seven. I would say. Yeah, definitely, I agree. I mean, uh, same as you. I I, I thought Aaron Ramsdale was brilliant for Arsenal, and uh, I agree as well. I think Nuno Tavares was had had a really really bad game. Um, but I I wanted to ask you this question as well because uh, I think I've asked you before about Trent Alexander Arnold once again. Um, it, I mean, my question is not whether he sh- should he be moved to a centre midfield position, but do you think he would excel in a centre midfield position? Um. Do you think he would be somewhat like Kevin De Bruyne in a, a centre midfield position? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I'll actually, I'll actually be against moving him into the centre midfield position. Um, okay, I I have two reasons here. I think two reasons. Okay, firstly, is because centre midfield is much more crowded than being a right back. I feel his ability to de- uh, deliver a ball, um. From the right back position is mainly because like usually at the right back position you only have the right winger or the center forward around you. You won't have like three players crawling the <laughs> crawling the right right wing back position. You, you get what I mean? Yeah. But whereas yeah. in the center midfield, it's much more it's 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 a much more crowded place, you know. When you're at center midfield, you have the when you're attacking or when you're on the ball, you have the opposition striker dropping back, uh, trying to get get the ball from you from behind you. Yeah, and then you have the cent- uh, the defensive midfielder or the opposition team in front of you, trying to get the ball, and not to mention maybe they are you know like like what we have here, Mo Salah, Sadio Mane, closing in. They're, if mm-hmm. if the opposition play narrow, uh, a narrow front three, then they might crowd you up, you know, which is what they would like to play. Whereas when you are at the side, it's more I f- I feel um you have more freedom lah to play the yeah. ball at the uh, near the near the side rather than in the center midfield. Secondly is, I feel he has been trained since young. He, he, he went through the youth ranks as a right back. Okay. Yeah, he, he, had, he had a few things in the centre midfield, but mainly at the right back position. And I feel he's, he, he has mastered the, you know, the curvature of the ball from the right back position. So if you move him to the centre midfield, probably, uh, you, you get what I mean? The, his, the curvature of the ball is already such that he whipped it, it's, it, it loops beautifully from a right back position. Yeah. But if it's at a centre midfield position, it may curl out of play, you know, uh-huh. something like that. It's like how Henderson Henderson plays the ball from centre midfield. He can't mm-hmm. be, he wouldn't be as good if he played the ball from a right back position because of where he started off. Okay. Yeah. Fair if that makes sense, like what, yeah. what I'm trying to say is like, a centre back plays a long ball compared <laughs> to a right back playing a long ball at the centre position, it will be different. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, agree, you know, yeah. it's a different kind of ball. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that, that's my point. I would I was I would put him where he is because he has been doing so well there. And and he he, he I think he assisted Minamino's goal. Mm-hmm. And as well as uh oh, oh as well as Mani's first first goal as well, the header. Yeah, so he contributed two assists yesterday from a right back position. So yeah, I will I'll, I'll put him there. I wouldn't move into the centre midfield position. Okay, very very detailed analysis. Uh, I, I would like to ask Uday the same question as well. Uh, I don't think I've asked him before. Uh, I mean the same question. Would you move Trent Alexander to a centre midfield or centre attacking midfield position? No, I think um 
uh, what Stephen has indicated has, is exactly the reason why he should just stay there. And um, he's tried it. Um, I think the, um, not Juven Club has tried it. The England manager, Gareth Saudi has tried it for 45 minutes. It didn't work out. And clearly, Juven Club knows. And I think he indicated that he should be a right back. So I trust Juven Club's decision. And Stephen has already made his point there. So I think he should just stay at right back. But if you ask me, Arjun, if he is he the first, uh, he should he be the first choice right back for England? My answer is yes. <laughs> I mean, I kind I of mean, like, it depending on oh, situation. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, it depending on situation, depending who they're playing against. I mean, if they're playing against a team that's going to control possession and everything, I doubt Trent Alexander Arnold may be the kind of person that you want to have there. Don't you think so? I I completely agree. Actually, uh, I thought. Someone like Kyle Walker or Reese James or even Trippier might be better against uh, teams who dominate possession. But if if the games where England are going to dominate the possession, then Trent would be much better. Yeah. Steven? Your okay. Thoughts? No, okay, but, but but my point is, okay, last season when we talk about uh when we talk about Trent Alexander Arnold and uh, versus Aaron Bissaka, right? Yeah. Trent was the best in terms of offensively right back and one yeah. Bissaka was the best in terms of defensive right back. Yeah. And all the other three that you mentioned now, Trippier, uh, Reese James, they were like mediocre in both. Like, like you know, balanced yeah, yeah. Like, in both yeah. offensive and defensive. So we are comparing yeah. these two. We are saying that, okay, I agree with you that if teams that dominate position, uh, possession, they are stronger than England, let's say, with Germany, Italy. Yeah, of course, we start everyone Bissaka because you may need to defend more. Mm. But if you want to attack more, you start trend. Yeah. But now you see a drop in form for everyone Bisaka, and I don't see much. To, to be honest, I don't see much of a difference in terms of defensive capability between Trent, Rhys James, Carl Walker, as well as Trippier. Everyone Bisaka, I can I can see significantly he's much more better than the other four because of his ability to make the correct tackle at the right time to block crosses. At the right time, and then hence, okay, I agree. One Bisaka, mm. go ahead when we need to defend more. But if you compare Trent against the other three, I don't see much of a difference. Maybe, yes, maybe Trent is uh, weaker in terms of defensive uh, positioning and whatnot. But doesn't, doesn't, the, the, standard, the standard of difference isn't that much. That's my point. Uh, I mean, I think it's also a slightly unfair comparison because Trent plays in a back mm-hmm. four and Rich James plays as a wing back. So Reese James okay, arguably true. doesn't have as much defensive duty as Trent. So, so it's hard to compare, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe we need to see Reese James in a back four or Trent in as a wing back before we can make. It also decision. depends on what Gareth Southgate played. I forgot about the formation part. Yeah, if he yeah. plays, he, 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 yeah, he usually plays a wing back system, which is why yeah. I, I don't know whether Trent excels in a wing back. I I assume Trent should excel as a wing back because he wouldn't need to worry about his defensive situation so much mm. yeah yeah all right all right uh, a very good discussion today i feel that i think that is the that's the, all the time we have for today uh thanks arjun thanks uday for this amazing discussion about mu snakes manager and, as well as um leopold's problem <laughs> leopold's uh, amazing performance against arsenal thank <laughs> you for joining me today yeah it's a fantastic discussion Yep, welcome. Yeah. Um, time flies up huh, when you're talking about football. <laughs> <laughs>
Alright, listeners, if you have any comment about our podcast, please do leave us a DM. My Instagram handle is at Steven underscore rock underscore and Arjun's Instagram handle is at Ruben Arjun. Once again, this podcast is brought to you by Mitsubo SG and Starshock Bakery. We'll see you again next time. In the meantime, stay safe and bye-bye.